Turn with me to John chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 10. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 9. Uh, we're, talk- it was, we're talking about Jesus as the door. The only way. Today we're looking at just one verse, John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What do you think he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy? I mean, he can't, t- he can't kill, steal, and, and destroy Jesus, who's in your spirit, but he could kill, steal, and destroy a lot of things that involve your soul, your mind. He wants to kill your body. He wants to take you out. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have this life more abundantly. He's not talking about physical life. He's not talking about solical life. He's talking about that abundant spiritual life that's exclusive and found only in a relationship with Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll get into these verses, or this one particular verse. We'll we'll unpack it. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather. I just pray that as we look to you, not only as our eternal life, but as we think about you in our daily life, may we learn to appropriate that abundant life that's in us, that that inexhaustible resource, uh, the, the eternal joy, the eternal peace, the eternal um, compassion, the eternal forgiveness. Everything that we need is found in you. And so, Lord, help us to just step out into faith and to fully trust your abiding, residing, abundant life that, that's in us, wanting to live and express yourself through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. The thief takes, the shepherd gives. The thief offers sin and death, but the shepherd offers his life and his life abundantly. The world cries, give me. The Savior cries, I give to thee. The world and Satan is selfish. The Savior is selfless and sacrificial. People can be alive physically and soulically or psychologically. Let let me just say this. In, In the Bible, when you look at the word for soul, it's suki or psyche, where we get psychology. So when I use the phrase psychology, I don't want you to think like, you know, that's some like new dangled modern contemporary word. It's actually a very old, ancient word. It's the study of the soul. And that's your mind. That's where you think. That's where you feel. That's where you choose. And so Jesus didn't just come to give us this solical, psychological, emotional life or our physical life only. He came to give us spiritual life because we were all dead without a relationship with Christ. So people can be alive physically, they could be alive mentally, and they could still be dead, walking around as dead people. Look at this slide here, if you would. Go to the next one. <laughs> the Walking Dead. You ever seen it? I don't recommend it. I mean, it was the first, the, actually the first season, episode one, was the best of all best. It could have just been a standalone movie, but they made a whole, I don't know how many seasons they've gone on. Um, but the whole premise is there was a virus outbreak, and then people, uh, you know, got infected, and you could correct me. I could be absolutely wrong on this story. You could correct me, you, you Walking Dead fans. Uh, but people turned into zombies, and they were basically alive, but they were dead people walking. And I'm only making this dramatic Hollywood example because look at even the Bible says about widows. Paul's trying to address, he's trying to tell Timothy, watch out, there's some ladies in the church um, that are walking around living contrary to their nature in Christ. And he says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. You know what he's saying is she's born again, she's saved, but she's living in such a way that dead people live, that people without Christ live. And could it be, if that was going on back then, that it could even go on with us? I would say yes. Jesus makes this point in Matthew 8.22. He said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. How do dead people bury dead people? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I'm not going to do a zombie impersonation. But how do dead people bury dead people? 
Now, I think Jesus is referring to, and he's, he's, he's referring to a religious community that did not have a relationship with him. In fact, he told them, he says, you know, follow me. And many people couldn't follow Jesus. And so he, and then he gives examples of why people can't, or they're not willing to follow him. But I think what Jesus was doing in addressing this religious community is he's making the point that they're alive, yet they're dead without a relationship with Christ. And so dead people can do amazing things. Dead people can build 5G. Dead people can build social media networks. Dead people can build bridges and highways and buildings. Dead people can do a lot of impressive things. Dead people could could dig a (laughs) six-foot ditch and bury their own other dead people that are dead uh, physically and solically. Revelation 3.1. We're going through Revelation, by the way, on Sunday nights. If you're interested, we're talking right now primarily on the mark of the beast because we're in chapter 13. But Revelation 3.1 says, the angel of the church of Sardis, right? The seven words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works and you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What's this indictment? This is telling a church that, like, you look very active. Maybe you're going to the Long Beach Mission. Maybe you're going to Huntington Beach. Maybe you're doing, you know, (laughs) trunk or treat. And I I know that sounds like, man, you're talking about this church. (laughs) I'm just saying that could be applied to any church. Maybe there's churches that are so involved, so active in the community, that you're like, man, look at those go-getters for God. What if they're doing it all for the wrong reason and all without God? That's kind of the point. He says, I know your works. A lot of them, pretty good. Outwardly, you have a reputation of being alive and active, uh, but you're dead. You're dead. Dead. Here's the thing. I think in the church and in the world, the number one crime, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again, is identity theft. Do we have a slide for that? Here's some stats. Might be startling to you. They're relatively new statistics. According to uh, the IAT group, 47% of Americans experienced financial, financial identity theft in 2020 alone. The group's report, U.S. Identity Theft, found that losses from identity theft cases cost upwards to $502 billion in 2019. Wait for it. And it increased 42% to $712 billion in 2020. That's a lot of money. Losses are forecasted to increase again in 2021 up to $721 billion on top of the other $712 that just was lost in 2020. Identity theft. They're... They take advantage of people. They they get them confused. They get them razzled. They get them. I think the 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 big thing is they use fear, and you know they use clickbait and they use all these weird scenarios to get you to surrender, you know, your rights or your identity, and then they swipe it because they have ill intentions. So or they do it unsuspectingly. You don't even know you're doing it because you're not careful uh, about how you share your uh, personal private information. If you're saved, born again, and have the gift of eternal life, I want to say this. The devil cannot steal or take away from you your eternal life. I'm not saying when I'm saying identity theft that the devil can come and steal your salvation. I think it's up there. John chapter 10, verse 28 Jesus says, in the same chapter where we're at, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's what the rest of the verses say. But I want you to catch this important point. The devil's not stronger than, than Jesus. Jesus created the devil. They're not brothers. They're not like co-equals. It's not like in this corner you have Jesus wearing white, and this corner you have the devil wearing a red suit, and they're going to they're square. They're not even in the same ring. It's not even a competition. Um, so the devil can't take your eternal life because to take eternal life is not where you're going. It's who you have. It's not a somewhere or a something. It's a someone. 
Eternal life is Christ, and he can't beat the one who created him. <laughs> the world, the flesh, and the devil can, however, steal our identity, make us sideline, marginalized, self-conscious is the big one, and looking for what we already have in Christ. I love doing this. My kids will remember this. Remember Meatloaf? By the way, harbors the love of our life. Pre-Harbor, we had Meatloaf, our 220-pound St. Bernard, and he had just the saddest, droopiest face and just dumb, but I thought he was secretly smart. Um, but you would pull his tail just a little bit, and he's like, what's that? And he would turn and turn, and you'd pull it a little bit more, and you could get him like going where he could generate wind. He's just like going for it, going for it, going for it. And would he ever get his tail? Some, no, never. But just to pull his tail, to get, just to trick him enough to get him to chase his own tail. And it's like if he could speak English, you could reason with him and say, Meatloaf, you already have your tail, bud. It's yours. It's, you're born with it. It's yours. It's the same with Christians. It's like the devil pulls our tail, and here we go. You know, what, what, where's my tail? Where's my tail? And we could spend how many... Weeks, months, years have we been robbed of chasing our tail, trying to get something that we already got when we got Christ. Identity theft. That's what I mean. You could be born again, saved, justified, sanctified. Your name's written in heaven. You have Christ. You have all of him and lack none of him. And the devil could just pull your tail a little bit. And off you go. Off I go. And we spend so much sideways, literally sideways energy chasing something that we already have. But here's the application. People who do not know who they are in Christ will use other people, rob them, steal from them to get their own gain. Rob them emotionally, perhaps. People that don't know their identity in Christ, they look for ways to get. They don't look for ways to give. If they don't have their identity in Christ because their identity has been robbed, it's not like they're playing the victim. They're actually going out and being the victimizer because they will use other people and other relationships, even ministries, to find their worth and their value acceptance because they're trying to find what, they could, only, what could only be found exclusively in that relationship with Christ. So in other words, they'll, they'll enter into situations and look for ways where they could extract life because they're not looking for ways to which they could give life because they don't feel they have it. But they do. They've just been bought. They bought a lie. They steal your attention. They rob your self-worth. They bind you. They imprison you only to advance their own selfish agenda. They're victims, but then they become victimizers because they've, been, they've, they've gone through the terrible thing of Christian identity theft. And Jesus knew the heart of people and he especially knew the heart of thieves. Thieves, robbers, stealers, not Pittsburgh, stealers. <laughs> Look at this verse, Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out those who sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers. And here they were using a good thing that was like prescribed in the old covenant and here these innocent people are trying to serve God and worship God, and they're traveling from afar. They don't want to travel with all their animal sacrifices. And so on their journey, they've been using, uh, uh, you know, Gentile money. And then when they come into the temple to buy their sacrifice, well, they have to change their money. And then there's, a, there's an exchange rate that they have to pay. And then the exuberant amount of the sacrifices uh, have gone up. And so they're being, they're being taken advantage of. And so when Jesus saw that, um, he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and had said to them, it's written, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you've met in a den of thieves. I thought about that den of, den of thieves thing because if you're, there's been movies and books and they've used that title, den of thieves. You've heard that? A lot of phrases out of the Bible like saved by the skin of their teeth. That's from the book of Job. And I just, this one just dawned on me, den of thieves, I used it. I hear that, 
And they got it right from the Bible. And Jesus himself says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Now, I want you to, if you're in John chapter 10, turn a little bit over to the right to John chapter 12. It's not going to be on the screen, so you'll need to turn there. John chapter 12 and verse 1. I want to point something out here and help you to understand kind of the language of a thief, kind of the the cunning salesmanship of a thief. John chapter 12 and verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that sat uh, at the table. Remember Martha before when she was serving? She was cumbered about with much service, and she was complaining about her sister sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus said, well, she's chosen the good part, um, and you're, you're cumbered about. Well, here's the thing. If you're a type A personality and you're, you, you're like, you like to serve and to be busy, here she's serving not to get approval from Jesus, but now she's serving because she already has it. So she's doing the very same thing that she was rebuked for before, but now she's doing it with a different motive because now she's doing it not to get life from Jesus, but now she's doing it because she knows that he is the resurrection and the life. That's a side message. Verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment and spikenard, very costly. Some say up to a a year's salary at at their contemporary time of which they lived. Uh, uh, And wiped the feet of Jesus, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with their hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then says one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. He will hear shortly in the future. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Why would this ointment, uh, not this ointment, be sold for uh, lots of money and then we could use all that money and give it to the poor? You see... You see the slippery tongue of a thief trying to pull on your heartstrings, trying to manipulate you a little bit? Because who's going to say helping the poor is a bad thing? Christians should never help the poor. Who's going to say that? No one. And But this he said, not that he cared for the poor at all, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was in it, or put, he was a thief. And what do thieves do? They cover their tracks by using like uh, good moral principles that Christians would, would say amen to. And then said, Jesus, let her alone against the state of my bearing. She has kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you don't. He's speaking in his physical sense because he was going to die, bury, rise again, and then deposit himself into all believers uh, through his spirit. Um, I don't think you're ever going to solve the, the issue of worldwide uh, poverty. Even Jesus says, here, you're not going to solve it. Do, does that mean that we don't do anything to uh, help? No, we do things to help. All I'm trying to say here is Judas wasn't really concerned at all. He was concerned as a thief what he could get out of it, and he wanted to sound good in the process. Thieves are liars. They will even use the the good to masquerade their evil. Politicians do this all the time. Hey, religions do this all the time, too. We're going to feed the poor. We're going to use this money for medical reasons. We're going to use this money to fight invisible enemies like climate change or whatever. When we go to India, uh, you know, I'm on the board of directors of an organization that goes to India. Most of the time is to see if the money that was sent there is used for the very purpose of why it was sent. And sometimes, not all the time, the money had been misappropriated. This is very common. You know, I remember studying this in the 90s where, where governments would raise money, they would send it to help the poor people of an oppressed, tyrannical system, and then the the people at the top say, thank you, we'll make sure the poor people get what you're sending the money for, and it never gets there. 
Instead, it goes to like guns and uh, other things um, that are opposite to meet the needs of the people. But yet they're crying, help the poor, help the poor, help the poor. I'm just saying there's just a lot of deceit in the world. There's just a lot of trickery. I remember one time going to India, and we were going to have a brother today. Um, (laughs) uh, Your father-in-law was going to speak on what's going on in India, and I had a feeling it was going to be speaking on ivermectin because there's there's whole regions of India where you guys are from where they have absolutely, totally been off the grid healthy. And they've not done what we've, in the Western society, have done. And I think he was going to speak to that, but we'll have to wait till he comes back from the Bay Area. Um, anyways, thieves. Oh, I remember going there one time, and uh, we spent, I think it was like 500 or 1,000, just for Bibles, because it's easier to send the money uh, and then for them to buy Bibles in Hindi rather than to get the Bibles here and then ship. That many, It was just too much for shipping. So when you have instances like that, and there we have multiple projects going on, but when you go over there, you check, are, are the Bibles here? They're like, oh, no, the Bibles are not here. We're like, we sent the money like three months ago. Where are the Bibles? Right? Stuff like that. Not just politicians. Judas wasn't a politician. He claimed to be a Christian. He's going to deny Jesus and rip off the, you know, the coffers. Uh, and so... Thieves are just those who have had their minds stolen by the prince of thieves, the devil, and are blinded by their own selfish ambition. So there's a real battle for the mind. There's a real battle for the soul. There's a, it's, like, it's called psyops. There's psychological warfare going on. And it's not just new. It's been going on. It's just been escalated lately, I feel. Now, when I do um, therapy, as I'm doing clinical therapy on a regular basis now, one of the modalities that I use is uh, CBT. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. And the reason why I do it um, is because it helps people to think about what they're thinking about. And the idea goes something like this. Your beliefs affect your behavior. If you believe incorrectly, perhaps you'll behave incorrectly. There's self-limiting beliefs that we attach to ourselves that may or may not be true. If they're not true and you act on those self-limiting false beliefs, you could go down a path that would look very depressing or uh, very anxiety-inducing. And so we try to not reprogram, that sounds weird, but kind of reframe and remap the way people think. So when they think correctly, then they'll act correctly, and then everything else will follow based on the life that they want to lead. And so it all starts with your thinker. So you don't want a stinker thinker, right? (laughs) Now, I want to point this out, and I'm not picking on the video game industry at all, but show the statistic, if you would. The value of global video games in the market in U.S. dollars Year 2020, 165.9 billion. And because this source was done in 2018, pre-pandemic, these numbers have even gone higher because people have been on lockdown. But aren't people that are addicted to this stuff on lockdown anyways? (laughs) I mean, they'll spend hours in a room and not get any sunlight or have any relationships with people face-to-face. And I'm not picking on this because it's the same could be said with gambling, uh, pornography. The same can be said by many industries that have targeted your mind to try to uh, control uh, thoughts to get you addicted. Why? So they could extract from you. They're looking for money. So the video game industry is the fastest growing industry today, even surpassing that of pornography. Some games cost up to get this. <coughs> million to make one game. Who has that kind of money? $250 million to manufacture a game? Now, if you're going to invest that much money on something that just shows up on a screen and that that looks kind of real and that moves around and then 
you know, it just, and you're thinking about, like, wow, look at, look at the way they're moving. What kind of goals do they have? Who do they get to meet? Who do they get to kill? What's the mission? You know, and I'm not saying it's, it's not fun or anything like that. I'm just looking at the psychology behind it. That's what I'm after. But the manufacturers that have the money and the evil genius to figure out how people think are manufacturers like Microsoft, Apple, Ubisoft, Square Enix, and other gaming giants. And here's what they could afford to do. They hire psychologists and they hire neurologists. Why are they so interested in neurologists? I'll tell you why. Because they want to figure out the neural pathways. They want to figure out in your little, your little skull nugget what's in there. They want to figure out, okay, what spikes serotonin? What spikes dopamine? How could we trigger that and put it on a feedback loop so you'll come back and get more and more and more and more? How could we do that? They figured it out. Look, the people that have you duped are much smarter than we are. There's an evil genius at work. You say, well, it's just innocent. It's just, okay, like a $200 billion innocent industry that's making money off of people that are enslaved? Okay, you can think what you will. Um, one of their tricks is this, is they introduce FTP games. The kids will know what this means. All right, give it to me. What's FTP? No, free-to-play. Free-to-play games are such that you get, you're like, oh, cool, it doesn't cost me anything. Boom, download. You're in it, and all of a sudden, you're, you're hooked on it, but now you can only go so far. And in order to go further, you have to upgrade. Here comes the, here comes the, the hook, the catch, right? And so they've used FTP games since the 90s, and they've worked so well um, that this is usually the kind of the big money maker. It's the cash cow. They've even borrowed techniques from the gambling industry. Have you ever gone to Vegas? The house always wins, by the way, like 80% of the time. Like, have you ever seen? They, they, no one looks happy. I remember you used to go, and the thing used to actually spin, and money used to actually come out. You know what the gaming industry has done now? It's all digital, right? Ding, 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 ding. Oh, you get a little coupon that you go and, you know. But they figured out that people will spend more money if they use a debit card than real money. Think about your own life. I do this. I'll, I'll like, have a $20 bill. I'll put it in my wallet. And I'll go around and I'll spend, I'll spend here, there, that money, that money. You guys want to go out? You want to go? What are you hungry for? You want to go to the movies? Want to go bowling? Come on, let's go do it. Let's go do it. I'll spend so much money, but I'll have that $20 bill because there ain't no way I'm spending that. You, are you the same way? They, are, <laughs> they have us figured out. And so in the gaming industry, what they figured out is if they if they take your real money and they translate it to digital currency and coins, ching, 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 and they make it like a, a nice little jingle to it and a nice little effect, you're like, we're in the money, they're in the money. <laughs> they're making merchandise of us because they got our brains figured out. So get ready for the fake money, by the way. The social credit scoring system, Canada's adopting it from China. They will reward you on good behavior. It's, 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 so, it's, it's psychology. It's Pavlovian. It's conditioning. They will reward you if you com conform to the state. And they'll give, you know, you can be able to buy things. But based on 5G and, and the things that they don't approve of that you're doing. Could you imagine just... You know you have a lot of money on your card and you go to buy something and it's like, eh, decline. You're like, why? You get a text message on your smartphone that says, you know, behavioral uncompliant. <laughs> Could you imagine? Well, it's coming. You don't think it is, but 
All those sci-fi movies that you say, no, never. It's just right around the corner. Here's the thing. Another industry um, that's wreaking havoc on our emotional well-being is the fear industry. They call it fear marketing, and it works, right? The devil's been marketing fear for years. Even in the Garden of Eden, he used fear over faith by pitching the lie uh, that God is not enough and causing Adam and Eve to be afraid of missing out on what they, have, what they might be left out with if they don't go with the devil's plan. Governments have used lies and propaganda and fear for centuries to control people. In a recent speech, and I mean really recent, given to leaders, one person who you would know because he's related to a president that was assassinated, he pointed the finger and he said this. Here's the quote. Uh, is, do I have it up there? Fear is used. No, I don't have it up there. Maybe not. He says, point a finger at the source of their fear and you can make human beings do anything you want. You can make them go to the slaughter like sheep. You can make them obey if you use the source of fear. Now, knowledge is power. Truth is freedom. And we know that it's the truth of Jesus Christ that will make us free and free indeed from fear and lies. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Look, the greatest of these is love. The power is God. A sound mind, it's your psychology. It's your, it's your soul. It's your thinker. It's your feeler. It's your chooser. Look, you know, your emotions could be all over the place. But God says, I'm giving you a sound mind. And I think when we connect our spirit to our soul in that with my will in my soul, I'm saying yes to my spirit. I'm not telling my spirit what to do from my soul, my emotions, because that's all over the place. I'm, letting, I'm telling my soul what's up with my spirit. And my spirit says, this is true, this is true, this is true, and you bear witness to it because it's the Holy Spirit with your spirit bearing witness with the truth, even if my soul is all over the place, which it gets squirrely a lot. I submit to the Spirit, even when I don't feel like it, because God says he wants it. He's, he, I didn't put this verse up there, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at the end of the chapter. I don't know which one it is, but it's at the end of the chapter. And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, which means we have his emotions. We have his thinker. We have his feeler. We have his chooser. We just need to appropriate it because we're one with him. We're united with him. Romans 8.15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's Dad. Dad. What's up, Dad? You created this world. I'm a little confused. I'm your, I'm your son. I'm crying out. I don't understand. What's up, Dad? There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. It has consequences. He who fears has not been perfected in love. You know what a good thing to do when you're afraid? Is to just ask. Ask questions. Ask questions. Really? What, why? What happens if that doesn't? Why? What happens? What's the consequence? If, wait, what? If I, wait, you're telling me something, but I just want to ask you, what happens if I don't? I think we're afraid to ask the questions. Right? I, you feel like that? Fear. You don't want to be the oddball. You don't want to ask, what are people going to think if I ask this question? What are people going to think, right? What are people going to think if I say, well, well, can I see the science? Where's the science? Can I see the facts? Where's the facts? What are people going to think? I think people are afraid to ask. But perfect love casts out fear because fear only has the, like, the, the man manipulation of torture and torment if you don't, this is going to happen. And so you conform and we conform. And we've been conformed by fear for too long. Because it says, he who fears has not been perfected or matured and grown up in love. 
Look, the devil can't control your spirit, but he wants to control your mind. Just as evil as it was to target African-American communities and get them addicted to crack cocaine, which they know that they purposely did that, just as evil as it is to do that to communities, it's just as evil for these, these companies that manufacture like opiates to target white communities that killed thousands of them as well. Is that fair? Killing Americans through drugs. The devil wants our mind. He wants your soul so he can kill you eventually. We're, it's a psyop. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, the pandemic and everything that's going on. It's been going on. It's, I, I want to write a book called um, <laughs> uh, Tyranny by a Thousand Cuts. It's been going on for so long. You know, it's like cut here, there, here a little, there a little, there a little, here a little, there a little. And you could go micro and look at one particular cut, but if you go macro and zoom out, it's been a thousand cuts that we've been like manipulated and controlled and the devil's been doing it no matter what country and culture. He's the God of this world. He's got a pretty ingenious network. Um, he's, you know, he's got princes and principalities. A principality is just a prince over a municipality. That's all that is. When you go into India, there's a principality over a municipality. In fact, when you go there and they say, what, what city are you from? And you tell them, they're like, how many people? And you tell them, they're like, that's not a city, that's a village. A city has to have 500,000 people in it. <laughs> and uh, so they've got some pretty big municipalities um, in India with 1.3 billion people that are doing quite well, actually, um, with the amount of population they have. Um, the devil wants your mind. Psychological warfare. Look at this next verse. I think it's 2 Corinthians, yeah? Or 1 John? Wait, go to the next one. Go to the next one. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, they're not AK-47s and AR-15s, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. What's an imagination? Something you thought up. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, contrary to who God is and his nature, and bringing into captivity every thought, that's your thought life, to the obedience of Christ. We've got messages, 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 you know, subliminal or not. It's coming at you. It's coming at you. The devil's got a pretty good network. He's got a good a psyop uh, that he's running on, on the world, on America, and if you go even more micro, on Christians. It's got a pretty good operation going on. Like he would, and I'm getting to the, the main point here which is Christ came to give us life and life more abundantly. But if he could, if he could do all this, you'll, we'll, we'll have eternal life, but we'll never experience the abundant life that God has for us to live and to share if we're sidelined and, be, and we're victims by identity theft, psyops, fear campaign. So in contrast to all this, Last point here is Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Amen. Dead is who we were, but dead is not who we are. Ephesians 2.5 says this. Even, look at the tense. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us, Christ made us alive together with him. By grace, you have been saved. I love this as a standalone verse. It's like, I know there's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but I love this as a standalone verse. We were dead, but we're alive now with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense, some people say. You know, use it as a, like an alliteration or an acronym. But we got something for free on the behalf and the expense of someone else. Colossians 2, 13 says this, And you were dead, who were dead? in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us, wait for it, all of our trespasses. Not just the big ones, not just the ones in the past, not just the ones in the, in the present that you've asked for forgiveness. 
When you ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins, all means all. Right? He forgave you all of your trespasses. All of your sins were in the future when he died for them. And so when he forgave them, he forgave all of them. Don't think you're some like clever accountant when you're keeping short records with God. You know, there's things that you and I do that are sin that we don't even know that's sin. God, he think his ways are higher and his, his system is a little bit different. And so it's not based on your ability to remember all of your sins. It's based on his ability in the new covenant to say, your sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And so he blots them all out. He removes them all. He casts all your sins into the depths of the sea and he forgives you all of your trespasses. That's the promise and the good news of the gospel. So dead is who we were, but dead is not who we are. Look at this verse, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say it unto you, he who hears my word, that's Jesus, and believes on him who sent me, that's God, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death to life. And he's saying this not to people in the grave. He's saying this to, to dead walkers, you know, that are doing a lot, of, a lot of things in the world, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. And so Jesus gives this invitation, and he says, even though you're alive physically, you're alive psychologically, you're not alive spiritually. So if you put your faith alone in Christ alone, you'll be alive physically, solically, and spiritually. That's what the whole born-again message is about. So Jesus not only gave us physical life and psychological life originally, but he came to give us this abundant life, which in the Greek, you've heard me say it before, so like man in the the Bible is called anthropos in the Greek, Uh, or you know this, like just regular life in general is called bios, like where we get the term biology. But when it comes to the spirit, when it comes to God's life, it's called zoe. You ever heard anyone named zoe? In the Greek from the New Testament, that's where we get this, it's the exclusive life of God. Zoe life is eternal life, and it's only found in Christ. No one else could give you Zoe life, only because God is the only one that has it. Um, So he alone is the one that could give Zoe life. And so he came to give us this abundant experience to not only have your sins forgiven and a promise to go to heaven, Uh, one day when you die. That's all fine and dandy. But what about in the meantime? See, eternal life or Zoe life is not just for the, you know, the great by and by. It's for the here and now. Sure, we could be saved and receive the gift of eternal life, but it does not stop there. It starts there. Does that make sense? I think I have this quote on the screen, Michael. The saddest thing, yeah, there it is. The saddest thing for a Christian is to receive all of Christ for their eternal life, just to never experience all of Christ in their daily abundant life. That's a really good statement. And it's a sad but true reality. How many years have you been robbed of that? Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling like, man, I've been... Maybe you're like, identity theft. I've, I've been... been Jason, sideways energy. I, wait, what? There's an abundant life in Christ that I could, I could have and experience that I'm not experiencing? Why, are we tra- chasing squirrels and chasing this or chasing our tail and we're missing the abundant life? I think the devil has so many like, like smoke screens and, and, and so many distractions. And I say that as a victim because I've fallen for it like so many times. Lastly, I'd like for you, before we close today, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter. It's not going to be on the screen. You'll have to turn in your Bible or on your device. 2 Peter, chapter 1. You've got to catch verses 3 and 4 before we go on to the list, because I'd hate for you to go to this list and make it, <laughs> make it all about the list, because you've got to see this. You already have your tail. Verse 3, 2 Peter, chapter 1. According as his divine power, he has given unto us 
all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, did you believe where the Bible said he's forgiven you all trespasses? Did you believe the word all? Now, do you believe this word? Where he's given us all things that pertain unto life. Do you believe it? Through the knowledge of Christ that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby we have been given exceeding great and precious promises, that by these promises you would be partakers of the divine nature. Okay, partakers of God's divine nature. So I'm not divine. He is divine. I'm finite. He's infinite. I'm temporal. He's eternal. But now he's united me with him. How did he make it possible? He forgave me, flushed out all my sins to fill me with his righteous life. Now I'm a partaker of his divine nature. And I've ha- I have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But if I don't know these things, these verses, I'll be a tail chaser. I keep spinning on that way. I like chasing my tail this way sometimes. So, whoa. Um, you guys have done that in youth group, right? The, the head on the back game, that gets people every time. So let's keep going. Verse 5. Then he says, besides this, give all diligence. Have your full attention on this. And you need to catch this next phrase. Add to your faith. Just stop there for a second before we go on. What do you need to add to your faith? What's your faith in? My faith is this. I've been given all things because I I have a relationship with Christ. I am now made a partaker of his divine nature. I have everything that I need for life. I lack nothing I don't need to make my Christian life a hunt for getting, you know, acquiring extra things to make me more accepted, to make me more righteous, to make me more forgiven, to make me more uh, uh, justified and sanctified. I have it all because I have Christ. He says, okay, but here's, here's something. So add to this faith, add to this belief, if you do believe this, add virtue. And to your virtue, knowledge. To your knowledge, temperance, which could be translated self-control, moderation. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you, let let me just ask you, are they in you? Yes, because who do you have in you? Christ. So you have all things already, Because you already have Christ. These are not external items. These are internal items. Picture your spirit like a huge Home Depot. Now, have you ever ever been in a project? Walt, this has happened to you. It's happened to many people. Eric, I know for you for sure. Have you ever been on a project and you're like, don't have that tool. I I need this one tool to finish this job or you don't have a a part or whatever. You run down to Home Depot, to me it's a time vortex. I'm like, wait, what was I here for? I'm, it's, (laughs) especially when I worked for the city, I was like, all right, no, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of that. Um, It's a time vortex for me, but picture everything's there. Now, picture Home Depot in your heart. Are there things at Home Depot that you don't ever use? Are there things in your garage and your toolbox that you don't ever use? But when the project comes up and you need it, isn't it nice that you have it? All I'm saying is you have everything. What you need to do is go to the Holy Home Depot inside you, which is Christ, and pull out the tool, access the tool, the part, the item. You think you need to get it outside of you, but you don't. You have it inside of you. Add to your faith what you already have, and pull it out when you need it. Does that make sense? And this is, see, Christian maturity is growing into becoming who you already are in Christ. Christian maturity is growing and becoming who you already are in Christ. 
You're already accepted. You're already holy. You're already righteous. If you weren't absolutely, totally righteous, if you died, would you go to heaven? Does anything unrighteous enter heaven? Does God enter anything that's unrighteous? Where is God? Did he make you righteous? Are you as righteous as Paul? Are you as righteous as John? Are you as righteous as Jesus? Whose righteousness do you have anyways? Yours? You're only getting into heaven on the merits of someone else. It's a righteous gift that you've got. If we have time, we'll get there because it's in Romans 5. Um, Now, keep going on. Where did we end up? Where were we at? And brotherly kindness and love. For if these things be in you, you you shall abound and make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyone that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And get this, you've forgotten they've been purged of all your sins. That's why you need to add to your faith. You need to believe these things. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you shall never fall. But keep this growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He actually says that at the end of this whole letter in chapter 3 and verse 18. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of earth. It doesn't mean that if you don't add to your faith and you don't grow in these things, that you won't have eternal life because you have everything. You ha- but are you going to have a, like a wonderful life? All he's trying to say is, this is what the abundant life looks like. This is what the abundant life looks like. I'm going to not turn to Romans 5, but I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there um, in your own private time. But at this time, if you'll, go to the, if you'll go to the next slide, what I would like for you to do is take about five to ten minutes. This is networking time. And uh, you can meet with whoever. I don't want to police this. Just kind of just mix it up. That's all I'm trying to say. Just mix it up. Mix it up with people. Um, And then let's discuss these questions. Number one, what kind of lies can we believe that can steal away our focus, our worship, and abundant walk in Christ? What what, what kind of lies do you think people could fall for? Number two, what does the abundant life that Christ freely offers look like? And how can we as Christians just consistently walk in that and abide in that? All right, so let's just take till 20 after and then uh, we'll be dismissed, all right? Maybe, Maybe kick on some tunes, some background music.